Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. When your faith causes you to doubt. If you don't have a faith that's not tested, you don't have a faith that can be trusted. What is faith? What does it mean when our faith struggles, when it stretches, when we're, when we're doubting, when we're disappointed with God? Do we really have faith, a true form of faith, when we really struggle to believe? Some of us, we believe in God, we've expected things of God, and, and it didn't come through for us, and we doubt. And we look at God and say, God, I wouldn't have done it this way if I were you. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I had in mind. Do you think Joseph, when he was in prison for 13 years, ever had those kind of questions? God, I wouldn't do it this way. We doubt and we struggle. For us, we go through good times. Oh yeah, we tithe and God will always provide all of our needs. And yes, I believe in God. I know He's trustworthy and faithful. But then the blessings stop flowing. Our income stops to drop. Some financial crisis happens and our faith takes a nosedive. And we wonder, do I really, really believe? Some of us, when it comes to the very issue of salvation... We've trusted Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to lead our life. But honestly, if we look within ourselves and we think, if I died today, I'm not really for sure that I have the faith that can bring me to heaven. And we doubt even our salvation. We go through a hard time and we say, God, I want you to work it out this way. I want you to make things happen in in this manner. And, And it doesn't. Or we feel stunk in life and we want more, but our ship doesn't come in even though we pray and we've asked God to help us move forward. And we throw our hands up in the air and say, what's the use? Why pray? Why believe? Because it doesn't work anyway. And I want to say to you this morning, our basis of this message here is the punchline, is that when your faith is weak, Do not look at the weakness of your faith, but look at the strength of your God. When you are struggling with your faith and you say, I don't know if I have enough faith to get through this crisis. I don't know if I have enough faith to take me into the next day or the next week. When you are struggling with your faith, do not look at the weakness of your faith, but look at the strength of your God. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10 as we continue on in our back to our series in Romans. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. So go ahead and turn there. Turn in your Bible app if you have that, whatever you might be using. And if you don't have either, we'll have the Scriptures by way of the screen. Now, let me just talk about a little bit of review, a refresher on the book of Romans. We've been saying that the book of Romans is the constitution of the Christian faith. 
It gives us in its 16 chapters the best picture of what it means to be a Christian and to follow Jesus from an overall systematic perspective. And at the very heart of Romans is chapters 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul talks about the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed that is by faith from first to last, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so our following of Jesus starts with the gospel, but it also ends with the gospel. We don't begin with the gospel and then move on to other things. Rather, we go deeper into the gospel. And the gospel is this, that every blessing, every benefit, everything that we receive that is good from God comes not because we've deserved it, we've worked for it, or we've earned it. It comes because it is a gracious gift from our loving God. We said in chapters 1 to 3, Paul talks about the problems of sin. That's why we need the gospel. Chapters 4 and 5, he talks about salvation. Here is how you become liberated, forgiven from your sin. In chapter 6 to 8, we talked about sanctification. This is how then you grow in the gospel, the means of how you live that out. And then in chapters 9 to 11 is sovereignty. And Paul addresses the question to a minority of of Christians who were in Rome. They were Jews. And they were asking the question, did God's plan fail? Because the majority of the Jewish people have rejected Jesus. It was a burning question within their minds because it was a struggle for their faith. They had trouble believing that the promises of the Old Testament were not fulfilled in a particular way and that the Messiah came to his people and they rejected him. And in chapter 10, that question is burning in their minds. Well, the Jewish people, by and large, they have this very great, strong, determined faith. They are strong in their belief. They are strong in their religious convictions. And and since they have such strong faith, why is it that God does not save them? And Paul's answer to them is that though they have strong faith, they have strong faith in the wrong object. They have a strong belief, but it is not in the right direction. And so let me give you the first truth as we just unpack what it means to have true faith, especially when our faith is struggling. And if you're in a note-writing mood, the first truth is this. Faith has a proper object. Faith has a proper object. Verse 1, chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, My heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul says, I want this more than anybody, that my kinsmen, the Jews, would know Jesus. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Zealous means that he looked at his fellow Jews, which is what he once was in terms of his belief. And that word zealous means they've got a fiery, intense focus, religiosity, and belief in God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. They have faith, but it is not based on the right object of faith. Their faith is misguided. Verse 3, since they know 
since they did not know the righteousness of God, and notice this, sought to establish their own. There are too many people. Rather than submitting to the gospel and what the Bible says, sought or seek to establish their own basis of being connected to God. They did not submit to God's righteousness. They have faith, a strong faith, but it is in the wrong object. I met a guy one time, I was at a small diner, and I asked what he believed. And I couldn't believe when he told me that his faith was in Thor and Loki. He believed in those Marvel characters. I didn't want to go into his mindset and say, where in the world, dude, did you get that? But folks, he's got faith. It's in the wrong object. Okay, we can agree on that one. And there's all kinds of people, they believe. They say, oh, pastor, I've got a strong faith. Oh, I really, really believe. I've got a strong, strong faith. But they don't know much of the Bible or any of the Bible. They can't say where they believe a verse in the Scripture or what promises they are staking their claim of belief upon. They have a strong faith, but it's really no better than having a faith in Thor and Loki. Because if you don't believe what God has revealed to you in the Scripture, you are seeking your own righteousness. You may have a faith, but it is not in the right object. Let me give you two misunderstandings about faith, and they're in your notes. Two common misunderstandings. The first one is this. Faith is sincerity. Faith is sincerity. Have you ever heard somebody say it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere in believing it? That's a common American claim, isn't it? Is that really true? If you're drinking poison and you think it's medicine, I don't care how sincere you are. By the time it goes into your body, you're going to get very sick and maybe even die. It doesn't matter what you believe about it. You have a wrong faith. Think about the people who follow Jim Jones or David Koresh. They had a sincere faith, didn't they? But it ended tragically. Think about people who strap bombs to their bodies and go into public places and blow themselves up and blow others up, and they do so in the name of their religion. They have a faith, but they're sincere, but they are tragically wrong. And there are those of us who can be Christians and we know Jesus, we've embraced him, we have faith and it's a true faith. But sometimes we add so much stuff onto that that is not based in Scripture and we're sincere, but we're sincerely wrong. You want to know how I really know that? Just go to Facebook and look at what Christians post. Now I've got to tell you that if I were to base what Christianity is on what people oftentimes post on their Facebook news feeds, I don't think I'd want to be a Christian, do you? Because sometimes it doesn't look good. So folks, sincerity matters, does not matter at all if you don't have sincerity in the right object of faith. Number two, faith is positive thinking. Faith is positive. You just got to be positive. Have faith. 
I just have faith my team is going to win. This is going to be a good year. How many of you have said that every year, every year at the start of the lion season? <laughs> oh, this year it's going to be different. I just believe. Let's just be positive. Then halfway through, you're like, oh, it's the same old lions again, isn't it? Even I've done that. I've got to admit it. Believe it and you can achieve it. You just need to be positive, have faith. But you know, the more you live, you you realize that your emotions can lie to you as much as they tell you the truth. And that's not a real good basis for faith. A little boy came home from school and dad asked, son, how'd you do on your test? The boy said, I think I failed. The dad said, son, you need to be more positive than that. Have a little faith. And the son replied, I'm absolutely positive I failed. Positive thinking is satisfying yourself. Biblical faith is glorifying God. Positive faith, which the world promotes, is about what I can get out of this earth. But biblical faith is about glorifying God in receiving what He declares is best for me. And folks, it is better to have a weak faith in the right object than a strong faith in the wrong object. And so we have to be very clear that faith has to have a proper object. Number two, faith has the proper origin. Faith has a proper origin. Verse 5, Paul going back to the words of Moses for the Jewish people. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is in the law, by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith. This is the righteousness that comes by the power of the gospel. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. What do I need to do to climb the stairway of heaven to be right with God? What efforts, what works, what do I need to... Paul says, do not say that. Verse 7, or who will descend into the deep, that is into the abyss, even to the place of hell, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. You see, the Jewish people were determined that they would go to the greatest heights, the greatest depths, in order to achieve great faith. But Paul says that faith has been achieved for us because of what Jesus did. We do not ascend to heaven because Jesus descended from heaven down to earth. And He lived and He died for us. We do not descend down into hell into the depths because Jesus went there upon the cross when He was forsaken and bore the wrath of God for our sins. And the point is, is that We're not zealous for Him, but Jesus is zealous for us. And that makes a huge difference. Our faith is in what He has done and in who He is. His perfect life. How long did Jesus live on this earth? 33 years. One theologian speculated, and I think it has some merit, He lived 33 years Because that's how long it took him to face every trial, every test, every difficulty that you and I will ever face. Jesus faced it all in 33 years. And guess what? He passed with flying colors. And you and I, we don't pass every test, do we? 
We don't go through every trial the way we should. But you know what? That's okay because Jesus passed those tests for us. He did that on our behalf. What about Jesus? He went down. He was baptized by John the Baptist. And that is so odd because it was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of turning to God. And did Jesus need to do that? No, he was in perfect alignment with the Father. But he repented. He went down in there for us because you and I don't repent perfectly. You and I don't turn to God in exactly the way we should. And some of us ask a question, did I repent enough? Did I believe enough? Did I turn to God enough? And the answer is no, you did not. But Jesus did that for you. And folks, we're not zealous for Jesus. Jesus is zealous for us. And the faith that we have is a gift, not that we earn or work for, but one that is given through the gospel. So verse 8, Paul says, But what does it say? The word is near you. That is the scripture, God's word. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Our faith is hearing what God says and responding to it in positive belief. We do that in the world. A doctor tells us we have a sickness that we've never heard of. He writes a prescription we cannot read, and we get medicine that we cannot pronounce. We take it to a pharmacist that we do not know, and we drink this medicine that tastes horrible, believing that it's going to make us better, don't we? And we do it because we trust the word of the doctor. And folks, when Jesus speaks to us and we hear his word, We take him at it. We believe his word. And so we respond. And it leads us to the third truth about faith is that faith has a proper outcome. Faith has a proper outcome. Verse 9. Paul says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to believe in your heart? Some of us know the truth up here, but we miss heaven by 18 inches because we don't take it down here. Some of us know the truth about God's promises up in our minds, but we don't experience the blessing of living in God's promises because we miss it by 18 inches. We don't allow it to transform us. We don't allow it to change us. We know it in our minds, but we've not embraced it in our hearts. And what is it that we embrace? It is the declaration with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And what does it mean to declare in your your faith that Jesus is Lord? It means that he is the absolute leader of your life. He is either Lord of all or he is not Lord of all. And so if your faith in Jesus makes him the spare tire of your life and not the steering wheel, then it is not a real faith. If Jesus is just there when the car breaks down and you need him to fix it, that is not real faith. Rather, Jesus is to be your pilot. He is to be your leader. He is to be your Lord. And if your faith does not lead you to his lordship, then you don't understand or have a real faith at all. If you're asking the question, what's the minimum? What's the minimum I have to do to be right with God? 
what's, what's the minimum bottom line thing I have to do to, to be pleasing to God? It's about like going to your spouse. So what's the minimum of fidelity and commitment that I need to stay married to you? It's like going to your employer. What's the minimum of hours that I need to do to, to stay employed? You don't do that to your boss. You don't do that to your spouse. Hopefully not. And you don't want to do that to God. Take George and Sue. They just got married. Ceremony's been performed. Cake has been cut. The confetti has been thrown. The gifts have been opened. And now George and Sue, they're, they're in the car and they're, they're heading away from the, the whole wedding ceremony thing. <clears throat> and Sue looks at George and says, that was a beautiful ceremony. I just loved it. That was so nice, so beautiful. But George, would you take me home? George says, well, no, we're going to our honeymoon. No, you don't, no take me home to, to my mom and dad. What do you mean home to your mom and dad? Sue says, well, I know we're married now, but I want to go back to my mother and father. I mean, I've accepted you as my husband, and that's all good, but I don't really want to change the way that I live. What do you mean you don't want to change the way you live? Well, well, wait a minute, you're my husband now, and, and it's great that you're my husband, and I know that you've promised to take care of me and that you'll meet my financial needs and that if I'm sick, you'll be there for me. And if I've got a problem, you're going to be there for me. But I don't want to change the way I live. I don't want to live my life in a, in a full commitment to you. And so if you're sick or whatever, I'm glad you're there. And I, and I hope to see you on the weekends, at least on Sunday when it's convenient. We'll spend some time together. But, but don't ask me to change the way that I live. And folks, too many of us come to Jesus Christ with that mentality. God, I've got a problem. I've got a need. I've got an issue. Help me fix it. Take care of it. But don't change the way that I live. And folks, if you don't want who Jesus is, you do not want what Jesus has to give. If you do not embrace his, embrace his heart, then you cannot experience the blessings of his hand. And if your faith does not lead him to be Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. So as we prepare for communion, let me give you a couple of encouragements as we tie a bow on this this morning. Number one is this, when it comes to having a weak faith, a struggling faith, is understand that small faith can grow big. Understand that small faith can grow big. We all start with small faith. None of us start with big faith. It's in Mark 9.24, the father brings his son who's dealing with all of these challenges demonically. And he asks Jesus to heal him. And, he, and Jesus says, if you believe, God can do anything. And the father says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And folks, none of us have a perfect faith. We just have a growing faith. And all of us are going to be at that place where we say, I believe God, but help my unbelief. I mean, I'm there, but I'm not totally there. And you're going through a crisis right now. I don't know if I've got the faith to get through this. You're going through a hardship. You're going through a troubling, a questioning time in your life. Say, I don't know if I have the faith to get through this. And Jesus one time said that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. 
And what Jesus is saying is that the issue is not the size of your faith, it's the size of your God. That if you take what faith you have and you focus it on the awesomeness and the greatness of God, then God can do great things within your life. Look at the scripture by way of the screen, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews writes this, Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say, let us keep our eyes on our faith. He says, let us keep our eyes on Jesus. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, then he will grow our faith from beginning to end. One version says that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith in Hebrews 12 too. And what that means is that when you're going through that struggle and your faith is being challenged, that you need to make an intentional effort to focus your eyes more on Jesus and look away from all of the distractions and the doubts and the negative voices that are going to pull you down. You're going to have to take the scriptures and the promises of God, seek them out, search them out, talk to people who can help you go into the scriptures and you're going to take those scriptures and you're going to proclaim them and trust them over and over and over and over until you get to the other side of that trial. And folks, you keep your eyes on Jesus, then your faith will grow as you trust in him and you learn of his reliability, his goodness, and his faithfulness. Amen? Amen. The devil will come, he'll play tricks on us. He'll say, you're not good enough to be with God, to go to heaven. You can say that's true, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil will come and say, oh, you're, there's hypocrites in that church. Now that may be true, but my faith is not in hypocrites my faith is in Jesus Christ and I'm not going to let them become in between me and God because if I do, I'm going to allow the hypocrite to be closer to God than me. But then he brings his most subtle trick of all. He says, but how do you know your faith is real? How do you know your faith is any good? Remember the Israelites? They escaped out of Egypt. As they're escaping out of Egypt, Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies are in hot pursuit and they come to the Red Sea and Moses strikes the, the lamb with his staff and the sea parts. And the Israelites, the Jews, they go on to dry ground and the walls of the water are just on either side of them. And as they're going through that and the fire of God is keeping the Egyptians in the background from pursuing them, I bet there were some of the Jews who loved that experience. They said, this is awesome. Pharaoh, eat your heart out in your face. We're cruising. They're loving us. But then I bet there's other Jewish people who are like, this is scary. This is scary. We're going to die. I'm going to die. And they're looking at these walls of water and they're dealing with these incredible fears. But you know what? No matter what level of their faith, no matter how they responded, if they obeyed and they went to the other side, they were equally saved, weren't they? Folks, when we take the faith that we have and we're obedient, 
were saved. Imagine that you're on the edge of a cliff and you lose your footing. And as you start to slip from the edge of that cliff is this branch. This branch is strong and it's sturdy. And you look at it and you don't have a lot of faith that it's going to uphold you. You don't think it's very strong, but your only chance And so you reach and you grab it, and as you grab it, it stabilizes you and it keeps you from falling. And even though you didn't have a lot of faith in that branch, it was still strong and it still upheld and it still kept you. And so it is with our faith. We're going to believe, but we're going to struggle with doubt. And if we take the mustard seed size of faith that we have, and we trust not in our weakness of faith, but in the strength of our God, then we will walk in his blessings. Number two, put faith in God's promises, not your expectations. Put faith in God's promises, not your expectations. Verse 17, Paul writes this, chapter 10. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard about the word of Christ. You go to the store and you buy soap and on that, bar of soap, the packaging, it says it's going to wash dirt and grime off of your body. And you go home and you use it and you're disappointed in it because it didn't take care of rashes or pimples on your body. You don't have a right to be upset because the manufacturer didn't make that claim. And many of us are disappointed with God. Our faith is, is feeling like it, it, it's, it's tested in a way that we don't believe we can trust. And it's not because God has not fulfilled His promises. It's because we're trusting in things God has never promised to do. 